I'm excited to bring forth God's word this morning, and hopefully you are excited as well, and you came expecting. How many of you came expecting God to do great things in your life this morning? I'm telling you, that's what, that's what we need to, to bring when we come into the house of the Lord is expectation, amen? Expectation, bring that with you every single time you come into the presence of the Lord. Uh, when, when, you, when you gather with the saints, amen, that you bring expectation with you. Why? Because God is always doing great things. God is always working in our lives. Even in those times that we don't see God working, God is still working, amen? Even, when, even in those times when we feel like we're going backwards in life, God is still working. He's still moving forward, amen? That's who he is. And so you come expecting, why? Because God is going to meet you here, and he's going to meet all of your needs, amen? Amen? Amen. Today, obviously, is Valentine's Day. Uh, it's a day focused on, on love, as we know. And I'm sure many people have found themselves uh, trying to find that perfect gift for that special someone, right? Maybe you were a little stressed out. You know, maybe you looked at your bank account and you said, well, I can't afford what I want to give to them, right? Hopefully you didn't go into debt trying to, trying to, to get someone a special gift. Because we know that it, is, it isn't gifts, right, that show love, right? It's a lot of, it's a lot of other things. I read this story. It says, after she woke up, a woman told her husband, she said, I just dreamt that you gave me a pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. What do you think it means? He says, you'll know tonight. That evening, the man came home with a small box and gave it to his wife. Delighted, she opened it to find a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. Someone say, he didn't read that one right, huh? <laughs> See, we use days like today to prove our love to someone. We do that sometimes in, in the, the purchasing of, of said items. And we say, this is how much I love you. I just bought you a new car, right? I spent, I spent you know, $30,000 on a new car because I love you this much, and so we use items, you know, to show how much we love someone. I did a preaching a while back ago, and, and, and it kind of made me, it kind of made me against <laughs> buying gift cards for people. I did a preaching a while ago uh, in regards to there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no real love in, in buying a gift card. This came from my, from my kid, right? My kid said this. There's no love in buying a gift card. And so it changed my whole perspective on, on, on buying gifts, and uh, if you've gotten a gift card from me, I'm sorry. Uh, I did think about you. <laughs> Maybe I was in a rush. I don't know. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A very familiar portion of scripture here. And Paul says this, he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable 
It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, just after reading that verse, we could actually have an altar call. There was enough said in that verse, right, that we could all find something that we need to improve on. But let's pray this morning as we get into God's word, as we continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we love you. Father, we love your presence. Lord, we love your words because your words are life. Lord, we pray for life in this place. If there are any dead bones, Father, that you would bring them to life this morning. If there are any in here who are hurting, that you would bring them comfort. If there are any in here, Lord God, who are weak, that you would bring a strengthening. Lord, any in here needing repair, Father, that you would bring mending and you would, Lord God, bring that healing this morning. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we are called children of the Most High. And in Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen and amen. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus told his disciples this in John 13, 35. And he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I entitled this message this morning, You Are Mine. You Are Mine. I wonder how many people in here have used those conversation hearts to send a message to someone back in the day. Maybe, you know, maybe you proposed with the conversation heart. I don't know. <laughs> you see, we must declare that we are God's. You are God's. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are God's. See, it's the same way that we declare when we get married, isn't it? We make a declaration. We do this. We do this, you know, in front of an official who, who will marry us, whether it be in church, uh, in, a, in a court building, uh, you know, where, where, wherever it is that, you've, that you got married at, in someone's backyard, you know, you had an official, right? You can't just do something private and, and just marry yourselves, right? You can't do that. It's not official, you didn't, you didn't get a license to get married. You didn't go through all the proper channels to make it official. It's the same thing that we do when a man or a woman wears a wedding ring, right? When you wear a wedding ring to declare that you are taken, amen? Yes? That you are off the market, <laughs> You belong to someone, and not in a negative way, but in a, in a blessed way. And you wear that as a declaration to everyone. Look, look, I made, I made a promise to someone, and they made a promise to me that we are one and that we have united 
and that we have made this promise to each other that we will, that we will stick by one another through thick and thin, through the good and the bad. Amen? Remember those vows that we made? When the going gets tough, we don't get going. <laughs> that isn't the promise that we made. We made a promise to stick by one another. Jesus says this, that our display of love to one another is proof to the world that we are his. This is what he says. You see, we know that it's easy to love those who love us, isn't it? It's easy to love those who are nice to us, who do good things for us, who buy you gifts. It's easy to love them. But how about loving the person who does you wrong? How about loving the person who says something bad about you on social media? Well, no, I, I need to get revenge. They can't get away with this. I need to tell them what I think about them because they voice their opinion about me, so let's, let, me, let me reciprocate. How do we love those in those situations? Well, let's see what Jesus says in verse 34 to his disciples of John 13. He says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. This is what I love about God. This is one of the things that I love about God. Is that he doesn't just give us commands. But he says, do as I do. I love that. In other words, it's the practicing of what you preach. Amen? He says, do as I do. Jesus says, I'm not telling you to love your enemies uh, uh, and, and just you do it. He said, but let me show you how it's done. Let me show you how to do this properly. See, this is what's awesome about God. It's because he doesn't just bark commands at us. He doesn't just say, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do that. And then you say, well, God has so many rules. How can I keep them all? See, what the awesome thing about God is that he shows us how. Why? Because he's done it himself. He's done it himself. And I know you're probably like me. When you see someone do it, it makes it easier for you to do it. Right? Because you see that it's possible. You see that there is a way of keeping these commandments, of keeping these, these, these uh, 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 maybe these rules, as you can say, that God wants us to abide by, and we get blessed in doing so. So the question is this morning, in what ways did Jesus show love to his disciples? And that's what we're going to look at this morning and this could, be, this could be an hours long sermon, but we only have some amount of time, so I, wanna, I don't want to keep you too long. We're going to look at just a few this morning. At what Jesus showed the disciples to demonstrate his love to them. Number one, he left heaven for them. 
He left heaven for them. Now, I know you may be saying, well, he left heaven for everyone. I know he did. I'm just saying what he did for the disciples, right, to show them that he loves. Yes, he came down for everyone. But in showing love, he came down for them as well. See, Jesus left his glory in heaven to share in our poverty. We think of how Jesus came into this earth, how he was, how he was born in a manger, and that manger was, a, was, a, was a, 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 a pig trough where the pigs would eat out of. What, a, what an unfashionable way of the Christ, the Messiah, entering into this world. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What is that richness that Paul is talking about there? What is it? Is it money? No. Are you kidding me? Money is nothing to God. Money means nothing to him. It means everything to us at many times, but it means nothing to God. It's trash. It's trash. What are these riches that Paul is talking about? It's the things that money can't buy. See, money can't buy peace. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos. You can't buy peace. You can't do it. Elon Musk can't buy true security. He can't do this. Why? Because true security only comes through Christ. It only comes through having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that these men develop relationships with Jesus Christ. I pray they do. Why? Because if they die without knowing Christ, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's not going to help you. Jesus left everything for us. What does that mean to you and I? How do we make this practical in our lives? Well, that means for us that we need to leave places of comfort to help someone else. We need to maybe sacrifice to show love to someone else. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says that uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul says, as a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You see, that man left his comfort zone. It was, it was comfort at home. There were no bills. Right? You probably, you probably weren't paying rent. You weren't paying the utilities. And then now you leave home 
to get married and become one, and now you take on all of these, all of these responsibilities in life. Don't you, men? Say amen. Amen. You take on all of these responsibilities. And some may look at it as, 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 as painful or something, you know, that, that you, know, you really didn't sign up for. No, no, no. This is part of growing up, amen? It's part of growing up. It's part of maturity. But we leave our place of comfort and we say, Mom, Dad, I've made a decision to be united with my wife. And we are to live as one. Every decision that I make now is not just for myself, but it's for someone else as well. The things that I do don't just affect me, but now it affects someone else as well. So now I have to be mindful, mom and dad, of the things that I do. And mom and dad say, amen, right? It's about time. <laughs> See, doing things that may not be convenient for you and I is what God has called us to do. Just as God has left the glory of heaven to come down into poverty with us. What are we doing? What are we doing for others? What are we doing to get out of our comfort zones for someone else? Are we making sacrifices? Are we saying, look it, God has blessed me in abundance. God has blessed me. God has been so good to me. So let me bless someone else. Number two is that he overlooked their imperfections. And I use this because we talked about he left heaven for them, right? And he overlooked imperfections. I use this to encompass the entire life of Christ. He overlooked imperfections. You think of the 12 disciples and all the hangups these guys had. They weren't perfect people. Jesus didn't search out the cream of the crop. No, he picked men who were who were uh, uh, who had a bad bad uh, you know past or 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 maybe maybe had professions that weren't the best professions, didn't have the best reputation. Yet he chose these men. You see, he wasn't looking for perfection, but he was looking at what? Someone say it. The heart. I heard, a, I heard a rapper once say this. He said, some people say nobody's perfect, but they expect perfection. It's real, huh? See, Jesus demonstrated patience. We too can model patience in our lives and to others because Jesus has shown us how it looks. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed by those who were following him, by his own 12 disciples. He knew it. He knew it was coming. Yet he still showed love to them. Matthew 26, verse 30 It says, they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, 
He says, tonight, all of you will desert me. Tonight, all of you will desert me. He says, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He says, but after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me. Peter says, no. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. The Bible says that all the other disciples vowed the same. It's interesting. Because Jesus still knew what was going to happen. Just because they said that, that Jesus, we have your back. Jesus, we're with you till the wheels fall off. It didn't fool Jesus. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't like, oh, you know what? These guys are for me. They just said it with their own mouths. I mean, if they said it, then it must be real, right? They must be telling the truth. Well, Jesus still knew what was going to happen. They didn't fool him. He knew what was coming. He knew that they would offer him into the hands of the enemy. He knew it. Yet he still showed love. Because check this out. In verse 32, he says, But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. What does that mean? that Jesus still wanted to hang out with them, right? He says, I will go to Galilee. This is, after, this is after I've been crucified, and after I die, and after I, raise from, and after I raise myself from the grave, I am going to meet back with you guys. It wasn't to get revenge. <laughs> Jesus wasn't planning a setup for them to kill them all. No, it was his love for them. You see, his love drew Jesus to want to be with them again. Why? Because Jesus overlooked their imperfections. I read this story. It says a little boy was visiting his grandparents and was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit his target. As he came close, as he came back to grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, you know, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? 
And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of, right, Johnny? Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered in his ear, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he killed the duck. Grandma says to Johnny, I know. Giving him a hug, I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. She said, because I love you, I forgave you. But I was wondering how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. You see, many times in our lives, in regards to overlooking imperfections, many times we have a hard time looking over our own imperfections. And we hold things against ourselves. Man, why did you do that? You're always making mistakes. You can't do anything right. You're not good enough. And we hold these things over our head. We hold these things. And God says, why do you do that? God says, why do you do that? I've been watching you. I've been watching you. And, and you didn't realize that when I forgave you, I, forg I forgot all those things. I didn't hold that over your head anymore. So stop holding it over your heads. And many times, we have a difficult time overlooking these things, not only in our lives, but in other people as well. Are you able to overlook hurts? Are you able to overlook things that maybe don't fit in your world, <laughs> they don't fit in what you think should be happening right now? Are you able to overlook things? Number three, not only did Jesus overlook their imperfections, number three is he saw the best in them. He saw the best in them. I never forget, and this is going to stick with me forever, because I know it was, it was very recent. But when, when Dean Braxton was here, and he was sharing his story, one of the things that really stuck with me was when he mentioned the story of him looking down from heaven. And how he said that when he looked down from heaven, he can see people. He can see what they were doing. He said, but he only saw the good things. He only saw the good things. And that stuck with me. 
it really, really, really stuck with me. Why? Because that's who God is. That's who God is. You see, he told the story of Gideon. I remember he, he, he gave a story of when, of when Gideon was hiding from the Midianites because they were, they were taking all of their produce. The Midianites would take everything and they would destroy it. And they were doing this for years to the Israelites. And he said that when Gideon was smashing the wheat under a tree, that God sent an angel to talk to Gideon. And he called him out. And he says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now, some of you may not find that interesting. But let me tell you the definition of valor. See, the definition of valor is great courage in the face of danger. And I remember Dean saying this. Was Gideon being a man of valor at that time? The answer is no. The answer is no. He was hiding. He was afraid. He didn't want the Midianites to see what he was doing at the time because he was afraid that they would take from what was his and all that he had to work hard for. But it shows us, it shows us how God sees us. Why? Because we may see one thing, others may see something, but God sees something else, amen? God sees your heart. You see, although he wasn't being a mighty man of valor in his actions, you see, God saw the heart of Gideon. God saw that, hey, there is a mighty man of valor in there. He just needs to be encouraged, amen? He, he just needs to be brought out. So let me give you some confirmation this morning, Gideon, that you are a mighty man of valor. Let me give you some confirmation this morning to you, the church. You are, you are more than conquerors, amen? You are overcomers. You are these things. You may look at your own life and say, I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Why? Because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world. You're not operating on your own strength. If you are, I'm sure you're very tired this morning. Surrender to God. Surrender to him once and for all. God doesn't want you weary. God doesn't want you tired. God doesn't want you on your last breath. No, he wants to revive you, amen? And he wants to renew you. As the worship team comes forward this morning, when the angel called Gideon, it in no way, shape, or form described Gideon's present state at that time. In no way did it describe it.
God saw what no one else saw. God saw the best in him. Jesus saw the best in his disciples. He saw men who were willing. Men who would say yes. Men who wouldn't, who wouldn't take uh, all this time to say, you know what, God, well, you know, I wonder if it's me that you're really calling. I don't know. Let me, let me go do this and this and this and let me achieve this and this and this before I do your work. And God says, no, now, now. Jesus saw the hearts. God sees the best in you. He does. He truly does. He sees the best in you. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your, what your parents may have told you growing up, what your teachers may have told you, what your friends may have said to you what the doctor may have said to you. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what God says about you. See, we may look at others. We may even look at ourselves. See all the imperfections, all the mistakes, all the things you wish you could change. See, but God sees a marvelous work. He sees a marvelous creation. He looks at you and he says, oh, you're mine. You are mine. And you are mine. And you are mine. All are mine. beautiful children God has. The Lord says this to all Israel in Isaiah 43 verse 1. Remember Israel, a nation, a nation who was disobedient on many occasions, a nation who, who lacked trust and faith in the Lord. This is what the Lord says to them in Isaiah 43, verse 1. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. He says, I have called you by your name. He says, you are mine. You are mine. You see, God sees you for who you are. I don't, I don't think you guys caught that this morning. So let me, let, me, let me repeat it in this manner here. When I mention God looking down and seeing only the good things, when Dean said that he was in heaven and when he looked down, he only saw the good things. Why? Why is that? Because God sees you for who you are.
As every head is bowed, every eye closed. The world will know that we are his disciples when we love. It is proof. It's evidence. If you want to know if your relationship with God is being cultivated, then look at your love for one another. Look at how you love people, and not just those who are easy to love, but those who offend you. Those who have cursed you. Can you love them? Because if you can't, then you are not showing God's love. If you are talking about them, you are not showing God's love. If you are holding it over their heads, you are not showing God's love. If you want revenge, you are not showing God's love. But it's only when you are able to forgive that God says, now, now you are showing my love. As difficult as it may be. As tough a situation as you have found yourself in. You don't worry what's going to happen. God has everything under control. He's protecting you. He is. He's protecting you. Nothing can harm you. God says, just do what I've called you to do. Just love. Just love. And when you want to show hate, you show love. And when you want to show anger, then you show love. And when, and when you want to get back at someone, you show love. When your husband says something mean to you, wife, you show love. When your wife says something mean to you, husband, you show love. And this is what we do. This, the Bible says, Jesus says, is how you will know that you are his disciples. And as every head is bowed, every eye closed.